Does the devil make us do it? Why do we sin? Those are some deep, strong, meaningful questions. We do need to look at those serious questions, questions like, where did evil and sin come from? Why do we die? What happens after we die? All of these questions, is there life after this life? Thanks for tuning in to the Putnam City Baptist Church podcast. We hope this message encourages you wherever you might be. If you'd like to learn more about PCBC, visit us online at pcbc.tv. Now, here's Pastor Bill. Well, good morning, church. It's been a great time of worship, and many of you have gotten to know over the last year or so Tom Duckett, who leads worship in our 945 service. Tom and I go way, way back. He was doing worship with me when I was a youth pastor and had a band and was traveling a long time ago. Uh, but we wanted to have just a time today. I just wanted to have Tom share his story and wanted to just ask you a few questions because I think you've been through an experience before that really can help a lot of us because of the experience we're going through today. We'll never forget 2020. Sure. We will all remember this as the year of the pandemic, living life like we've never lived before. But this in your first rodeo, uh, 1999 kind of has that same feel for you. That was a life experience that some in Oklahoma remember, some may have forgotten. So go back a little bit, relive a little bit, 1999, what you were doing and what happened in Oklahoma. Yeah, you know, it was an interesting, um, it was an interesting evening. I had, we had an international ministry that we did a lot of short-term mission venture in, and I was at an office close to my home. Uh, and my dad had called me several times during that day. He said, man, you need to be watching the weather. And um, somewhere around 4 or 4.30, he said, whatever you're doing, you need to stay. And I wasn't paying attention. Hmm. He said, whatever you're doing, you need to stop right now, and you need to go get shelter. And I said, Dad, are you serious? And he wasn't a guy that's given to panic at all. And, but I did what he said. I did what my daddy said and hmm. uh, went home and saw on television that there was a phenomenally power storm, powerful storm that had been gathering and was coming up from Chickasha, south of Chickasha, and um, was forming into a super storm. Yeah. And uh, sure enough, tornadoes kicked in, came up through Chickasha, through the edge of Chickasha, and then was heading toward us. And I packed family in a closet that we didn't have a cellar. And I packed my family into a closet that was, uh, that backed up to a large masonry structure, a fireplace, packed blankets and and then mattresses, mm -hmm. and then like any good sensible man, mm -hmm. I went outside to watch. <laughs> and yeah. uh, uh, it was the most phenomenal, uh, the answer is it missed my house by a quarter mile. Wow. But I saw its path, and Bill, it was, it was the most powerful thing I've ever watched, except maybe hurricane stuff. Um, but from three or four miles away, it filled up all of my vision. Wow. And uh, I didn't realize at first that it was rotating. Uh, and I saw birds flying around the perimeter. This is a long ways away. As it got within about a mile, I realized that it was pieces of houses. There, there were things, uh, huge pieces of debris that were circling this cloud. It sounded like uh, I was in an Air Force base one time and saw a rocket-assisted takeoff of a jet, and it screamed and just was so piercing, and the ground shook, mm -hmm. and it was like that magnified. It was the most uh, awe-inspiring physical display of natural power that I've ever seen in my life and it was coming directly at us at my house and I knew and began to kind of move me around I was in the yard little pieces of debris began falling and they were falling at that time from a mile away any cows kind of moving you know I didn't sky? see the no cows, cows. No, cows? Okay, <laughs> no cows in the air um, but uh, as it, it began to move me around and I realized that it was going to get us and from this, I've been through two or three different tornadoes uh, up to that point. Most of them had been smaller storms, um, but I was very familiar with the aftermath. Uh, one of them hit our town of Mustang when I was junior in high school, and we had to do some cleanup there. Anyway, I was really, f and I knew the power of it just by feel, and I knew that we were gone. I knew that there was nothing about our house and that masonry surround that was going to take care of us. We were above ground. Wow. And I just had this moment of just, uh, sense of real grief and loss. I knew it'd be the last time I saw my family. <laughs> you know, it was weird. Yeah. And I just gave thanks to the Lord for our life to that point. That really is true. I was very grateful. And then I went in the house and laid on top of the mattresses and gripped the door sills. Mm. And the storm turned and wow. missed us by about a quarter of a mile. Wow. So we didn't get the we didn't get the brunt of the 
the storm at all. Immediately following that, I drove the two miles up to my church. I was pastoring a church at the time. And in this area, uh, you were what? What? Bridge Creek. Bridge Creek community, which is south of, like, south of Mustang, twelve okay. minutes. It kind of sits in the middle of the Blanchard, um, Newcastle, Tuttle Triangle. Yeah. Kind of sits in the middle of that. So that uh, whole Tri City area, more was the whole path. It of was that the storm, path, and, and it, that was your ministry. That was concert. our that was our ministry area, yeah. and it uh, came through. It took a church. Facilities completely out, took about 800 homes, killed, I think, 12, 13 people in the community. Some other people passed away eventually because of uh, complications as a result. My goodness. When I got to the, had to go out through fields to get up to my church, you know, because it was uh, so much debris, and um, we had a daycare. And I just was so fearful that our kids had not gotten out or weren't secure. And we had a, we had a storm plan where, you know, you get in a hallway so the walls, when they cave in, the walls will protect. And that's, that's kind of what they were instructing us at the time. And when I got to the church side, it was gone. Wow. Three of my ladies who were taking care of kids, we had about 85 kids in our daycare at the time, uh, came up out of the rubble. They'd been in a utility closet, and they were safe. Very, very mild very injuries. Cool. Our kids had left 29 minutes before the storm hit. The last kid had gone. The hallway that we would have had them shelter in, the glue-down carpet was ripped off the floor. Oh, my goodness. And so we would have lost everybody. Oh, wow. Uh, had it, uh, so the Lord really protected us. Yeah. Anyway, that's, that's what happened. It was the most powerful tornado in recorded history. Is 318 miles an hour plus. Never experienced anything quite like it. Mm. I'd, I've been through other tornadoes. And later in 2013, I actually got caught in one in a truck and and uh but nothing nothing like that at all so obviously life changed in 1999 yep. a season of life change much like ours has here in 2020 yes what lessons did you learn from that and what what, what do you take away and how did that change you and your church and your community right um and trying to think succinctly about how to say i guess here's the here's the nutshell here's some just a few things that really stood out to me. Natural disasters or, or cultural crisis, this is a natural disaster without tornadic damage yeah. or hurricane damage, but this is a natural disaster. And what happens to all of us is that we become isolated. Yeah. And that is part of this scenario. And so just for sake of time, I think the strongest, most powerful lesson that I learned was that in isolation, in, in the aloneness of not being able to have community, um, there's a very powerful effect on the human psyche. And this is not just a Christian thing. This is a cultural, psychological, emotional, physical thing. When we are isolated, like in this situation, we can't, we're not even supposed to hug each other. We're not supposed to shake hands. We do the, the bump or the kick in the toe or whatever and all that kind of stuff. And uh, you can't scoff at it. It's science, mm -hmm. and it really has made a difference in trying to limit. Sure. But here's what happens to us as people. We, believe it or not, whether you think that you are someone who is stronger than the need to be in community, it is not oh, so. Yeah. We are made for interaction. Uh, we, are, and we are made to share with each other life's experiences. And, and uh, part of what happens to folks is that that isolation can become, for different people, it will affect them different ways. It can become a very strong sense of loneliness. It can become a disorienting thing where uh, people can begin to lose sight of those things that have always been rocks for them, always been guidance for them. And so um, it's hard to describe it all in a, in a short window of time, but the, bo the bottom line is that change can happen to your inner person. You lose the sense of attachment, sometimes even to belief. Uh, there can be a grieving process that is so devastating, a sadness can set in that is so devastating that you may not really feel like you have a good reason to be sad. Mm. But a sadness can set in uh, in people's lives that is profound. And depression can be a part of that. It has many different manifestations. All of those five stages of grief, you know, Kubler-Ross's mm. classic model for how we grieve uh, all of those things will be experienced by various people in various ways. Uh, you know, the we went, we were, we had about 500 in attendance at that. We'd been in a strong growth curve when this thing hit, and um, 
met in a tent afterwards. Wow. A big, you know, tent, you know, 120 by something tent. We were flooded with news coverage. We had 50 to 60 television crews in every service. We had, wow. I was, I don't even, can't even think how many times I was interviewed by different people and different news agencies. And, and um, it was a really uh, high profile time. Our people rallied and we were meeting in a tent in the rain. For six to eight weeks following that storm, we had very powerful storms come through. And so we met in the mud uh, we wow. put down pallets and all that kind of stuff for mm-hmm. people to not be muddy. And they, valiant, you know, they valiantly came to church. Nice. They valiantly gathered together, some of them having lost their homes, in this tent on the parking lot that became mud after weeks and weeks of rain. And um, we saw some people come to Jesus. And then about eight weeks out, two really powerful storm fronts one that was descending across the plains toward us, one coming up from the Gulf. They literally met in our community on a line that stretched across our community, pulled that tent about 300 feet up in the air and slammed it back down the ground. Uh, all of our chairs, everything else that were in there were destroyed. We were able to go find another one to rent from somebody and uh, put it back up. And so there's a whole story about the struggle sure. that was physical. What happens, though, because it was, we were not able to do business as usual, at that time, our people were really kind of ill-prepared for that. Everybody was. And so by the time we had finished a year and we were close to being rebuilt in our first phase and, and close to being able to come home, we met in a gymnasium at the school eventually. By the time we hit a year out, our population in our church was reduced 80%. Wow. And... Um, and, of course, it was a very harsh, nasty, the smell of death was everywhere. There were cattle, there were horses, thousands all mm. over that community. Mm. It was a horrible physical situation. Yeah. But I watched our people become so discouraged, and I couldn't get to them all. We couldn't right. gather, it, you know, as, and it really cost us in the, in the numbers of people that we were able to keep involved. A real encouraging word or an exhortation that I, would, that I would have for us as a culture, us as a Putnam City Baptist Church culture is be very, very purposeful about your investment of heart, soul, thinking, and prayer life in one another and in this church. Yeah, even if work. you're peripheral, even good if work. you're not really heavily involved, stay hooked up mentally because this is home and this will be comfort, yeah, and yeah. this will be encouragement down the road. So it's 20 years later. You obviously made it, but it was a uh, long journey, a, yep. a, a roller coaster ride of ups and downs. Yep. Just to kind of close this part out, because I know you wrote a song related to that experience. Mm-hmm. But speak to our audience this morning, and what you kind of already gave a word of exhortation or encouragement. What else do we need to be watching for? What else can we learn from 20 years of history mm-hmm. that would help us in this part of history? You know, I did a lot of things really right. I did a few things really wrong. Mm. I personally felt like um, I had never run out. I had always been able to endure through almost anything. It was athletically, whatever. I, I had always been able to endure. Sure. Something happened. Later on, I was told by some, uh, someone who was kind of listening to the story and, and uh, said, you know what? You're a PTSD guy. Wow. Had no clue. <laughs> and, yeah. So here's what I would say to us, and, and it literally was a watershed for my life. Uh, over a period of time, uh, I lost about 50 pounds. Uh, you know, I was living, sleeping, eating in my truck, and uh, uh, I was working night and day, running heavy equipment, doing whatever we, we were distributing food. We were doing all of the Isaiah 58 right things, and here's the bottom line is I let good things and I let work mm consume my living process yeah. ended up in isolation from family i lost a family over this deal wow. Sorry. and um and part of it happened because separation loss of normality isolation from kindness and words of love for each other and just that discipline of daily loving contact doing right things good things that isolation eventually for me became alienation Mm. psychologically when that happens uh when we are alien to a situation it is a um scientifically psychologically however you want to phrase it it's a mind-breaking thing that's why it happened to me 
And um, God has been so faithful to pick up the pieces. I mean, I, I, I was on the far side <laughs> of crazy for a period of time. I didn't sleep for a couple of years in the early 2000s. And um, literally, uh, in looking back, it reminds me of the guy in the tombs. You know, when the, and when the Lord addressed him, the, the presence inside said, my name is Legion. Well, I wasn't possessed by Legion, but I know what it is like yeah. to yeah, not indeed. be able to live in my skin. God saved me Thank after having Lord. saved me as a child. <laughs> God yeah. delivered me and let me live and let me pour my life out for people again and uh, walk with him. So anyway, my encouragement is you stay in contact with the Father. Yes. You stay worshiping Jesus, you stay living empowered by the Spirit of God, and He will protect. I learned what not to do mm. in the midst of doing some really good things. I learned what not to do, yeah. and I learned something about how to fail. God will take care of you if you turn to Him. I think that's a great lesson. I think, you know, there's that run back to the engaging again. When yes. are we opening up now? And have to get on with life. You have to do those things. But if it's at the, uh, what I'm hearing you say, if it's at the detriment of relationships with God and each other, mm -hmm. doesn't matter how fast we open back up, that's right. we'll stay closed up. So I think that's a great word for all of us to remember the balance mm -hmm. in all things. And I think you wrote a song about yeah. that experience. You mind sharing that? This I, don't morning? I think it'd be a great thing to hear. Hopefully I can do the song justice. You need some help, just let me know. <laughs> My brother. They wrote it solo though, right? Uh, yeah, it's called Hide Me Away. Uh, it was kind of... Uh, taken from several points in the scripture. You'll find some scripture quoted. Hope I can do it justice here. Um, we've actually sung this in church a time or two. Um, and it is this expression to the Lord to cover me whenever I am, I am myself uncovered. I'm not covered by my strength, by my self-possession mentally and so on and so forth. It's called Hide Me Away. I would tell, say one more thing, Bill. A place you can be really tough in your heart and mind is about the intent to be with your fellows, your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. You can be tough. You can be disciplined about that. Mm. You can be hard-nosed about that. I will return to fellowship. Amen. Don't let anything come between you and that. It'll happen on the timetable that our culture, our government, our leadership helps us understand but be tough about that. I'm coming back to family. Endure. Good. <clears throat> if I fly to the heavens or sleep in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the beautiful dawn, you are there There's no one who loves like you do Your strength and your passion are fiery and true And I am safe in you So hide me away in the palm of your hand Be thou my fortress strong Cover my head in this battle that rages, for I am yours alone. When my mind is confused and I long for the quiet, you are there. When my soul needs rest and I thirst for your spirit, you are there. Though I despair in the night, the darkness is shattered by love's holy light. And I am safe in you, so hide me away in the palm of your hand. Cover my head in this battle that rages, for I am yours alone. Hide 
me away in the palm of your hand. Be thou my fortress strong, my Lord. Cover my head in this battle that rages, for I am yours. I am yours alone. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for all those truths that have been shared this morning. Things that life teaches us as we walk with you and experience life on this planet. Lord, the realization that no matter what comes our way, those who build their lives on the rock, no matter what storm comes, we can stand. Not in our own strength, not in our own wisdom, but because you are that rock. Lord, I thank you that we are yours and that you chose to save us to be your children that you are our Heavenly Father, the Father God that we can run to as children in our time of need. I pray for everyone who is worshiping with us today and in this moment. God, that you would reveal yourself to them as truly that, their Heavenly Father. And if they don't know you, Lord, if they're alienated from you and their sin, that today, Lord, today they would become a child of God. For those of us who know you in that way, we give you praise. We give you our concerns. We cast all of our cares upon you. And Lord... We know that you want to be that yoke bearer, the one to carry the weight of all of our challenges and opportunities as we walk with you and abide in you, and your power abides in us. We love you. I thank you for Tom, what he means, the life of our church and the life of this community. Thank you for what he has shared with us today. May we all grow and be challenged from it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Tom, blessings to you. There's an elbow. Awesome. All right. Well, before we jump back into our study in the book of Romans, I want to share with you our latest update for when we will gather again. Uh, we have been following our president's task force and the recommendations of the Center for uh, uh, Control Substance or Control Disease, all those things. Our governor's recent press conference also gave a lot of clarification for what that means in Oklahoma, and as well as our latest announcement on Friday from our mayor. There were some things shared locally that is relevant to Oklahoma City, where we are, even though we're a regional church, and many of you are in other communities that may have different restrictions, there are clear guidelines and restrictions right here in Oklahoma City where we are. First of all, I just want to say all of our leaders have an overwhelming task in front of them to lead a nation, a state, and a city. And ultimately, we as your shepherds at PCBC had to lead our flock. It was announced this past week by Governor Stitt that health statistics seem to indicate in our area and in our state that many of us can return back in some ways from shelter at home to practicing safe distancing and getting out again within our community. Our governor has also said in the majority of our state, except for certain cities, uh, that churches could gather again and that cities like Oklahoma City and Tulsa that had higher risk may have some different stipulations. He recommended that on May 1st, that be the target date of starting to open up other businesses, again, with social distancing, and then he declared for churches uh, these criteria, and I'm going to put them up on the screen. Uh, there was to be no child care of any kind, although churches could begin to meet again May 1st, or after May 1st. Ages 65 and immunocompromised populations should stay at home, and we're encouraging that. There to be no small groups in church meetings. There's to be no food or coffee. Everyone is to still maintain social distancing up to six feet apart. Every other row in a worship service is to remain empty. Staff and congregation are encouraged to wear masks and then also to have in place aggressive sanitation strategies. That doesn't sound like church gathering, does it? That, that is the new normal, and that is what is on us in the month of May. So after a time of praying and planning, your PCBC staff have met together and we have developed our reopening plan for PCBC. We will have one more worship online only next Sunday, May 3rd. While we could gather together, we've chosen not to do that on May the 3rd. Well, why would we not meet if we can? Well, more than half of our church is still required to stay at home. We can't provide childcare. We can't accommodate those who have immunity issues, or 65 and older, so a large portion of our church wouldn't be able to gather anyway. It was also our conviction that indoor spaces are the most dangerous spaces for the spread of germs and viruses. And so while we technically could meet, 
there's no need to put ourselves in that compromising situation. Also, the social distancing factors would lead to a very cold environment and one that really wouldn't accomplish much anyway, being spread apart, distanced apart, and half our church staying at home. So we felt like, let's wait. We'll do another worship online next Sunday, May 3rd. But then on May the 10th, we're going to introduce something totally new. We believe it's a great time to introduce something for our community. Many people have been uh, at home, have been uh, kind of boxed in, if you will, and are wanting to get out and experience community, kind of like Tom was encouraging us through his story. So what we're going to introduce is a new concept called Lawn Chair Church. That will be on May the 10th. That happens to be Mother's Day. And so on Mother's Day, we're going to move outside for the rest of the month of May. We will still have our online worship at 945 for those that need to remain at home. Again, those would be anybody that have an immunity issue, uh, those that might have uh, uh, children that they don't feel good getting out and about 65 years of age and older, they need to remain at home as our president has declared, our governor, and our mayor. But you can watch, and we will have online worship, 945 every Sunday as we always have. That will always be available. But 1105, we will move outdoors, out onto our property between the Wellness Center and the Annex. There's a huge stage. That'll be my new pulpit. We're going to encourage you to bring a chair or a blanket. Every family will be six feet in distance from one another in social distancing. And we'll be able to invite our community to come on these grounds and experience great worship, and a word from God. That will happen on Mother's Day, May the 10th. During that day, we're working out the details that we'll be bringing to you. We are going to still keep our Mother's Day photos on May the 10th. You say, how's that going to happen outside? We're going to have drive-through Mother's Day photos. We want to encourage you to drive through. We'll have a whole line that you'll be able to get in. You can take the photo in the car. You can jump out of the car uh, and take a quick photo and then move on, and we'll be bringing more details. It'll be a unique way to remember Mother's Day 2020. Then on May 17th, graduate recognition. Our graduates have had a difficult year, and uh, all of our students have had a difficult year, but certainly for our graduates, we are going to recognize them in the 945 online service with a special highlight video. Then at 11.05, they'll be walking across the annex stage and we'll be able to celebrate with them, those who will be here outside. That'll be on May 17th. May 24th, again, 9.45 online worship, 11.05 outdoors uh, for Memorial Day weekend. And then our last lawn chair church, we think, will be on May 31st as we end the month of May. And I think it will be a fantastic time for us to make a statement to our community that we still worship the Lord God and we invite them to be a part of, a, of that in a very safe, safe environment. Now, in the month of May, offices will have limited staff here during the week. There will be no small groups during the month of May other than what has already been uh, happening online with Zoom, Facebook Live, my app, and the different things that Sunday school classes are doing. So all Zoom meetings will continue to happen during the month of May, and then we will relook at the situation as we get closer to June. That is our new normal coming to us in the month of May. Well, let's dig into the Word. If you have your Bibles, start turning to Romans chapter 5. Uh, we may go a little bit longer this morning. I may only get about half the sermon in, but let's get after it. When I was growing up in Enid, uh, I didn't grow up to church, in church much, so I didn't get theology from uh, the Bible. I didn't get it from a pastor. I didn't get it at a church. Uh, I got my theology from TV preachers. Now, not, not the TV preachers you're thinking of, from TV. TV was my preacher. I was taught that Father knew best. That was my theology. That's what I grew up with. Uh, can I get an amen from the dads at home? Let's remember, Father knows best, right? Each day was... My theology was supposed to be a happy days, right? Every day was supposed to be happy days. Well, how realistic is that? Not every day is a happy day, but every day can be a joyful day. I grew up with the theology. I did believe in angels. Uh, they just happened to be Charlie's angels when I was growing up. I was a little off in my theology. Uh, I also grew up uh, with a favorite show, which was Flip Wilson. And this was the theology that I wanted to bring to you. Flip Wilson was a brilliant comedian who developed a character named Geraldine. She was a Bible-toting, religious woman who would get into trouble from time to time, and her mouth would get her in places she shouldn't go. She would always say things she shouldn't say and 
do things she probably shouldn't do. And whenever that happened, she would declare her theology, which became my theology, the devil made me do it. I tried to practice that theology on my parents many times. When I got in trouble for messing with my brother or not doing what I should be doing, I'd just simply throw out my theology. The devil made me do it. Well, we're going to look at that today, and we're going to see, is that good theology? Does the devil make us do it? Why do we sin? Those are some deep, strong, meaningful questions. Much more meaningful than a lot of questions that get asked today, a lot of silly questions. I was going to read off some. We're out of time this morning, so I'm going to skip through that. But we do need to look at those serious questions, questions like, where did evil and sin come from? Why do we die? What happens after we die? All of these questions, is there life after this life? Well, the Apostle Paul has been bringing these arguments and answering those questions to the people in his day that still speak to the people of our day. We need to make sure that we get our theology not from Hollywood, not from our soul or how we think or what seems right to us. We don't even need to get our theology from our culture or what we believe in 2020 as human beings. It comes from the one who created human beings. It needs to come from the Lord God. It needs to be a proper understanding, not of what might fit between our two ears, but what God has declared to be true. As we go through this theology that we're about to look at in Romans 5, it gets a little deep, so I want you to put a seatbelt on, if you will, kind of buckle in with me, and I want you to really listen to what Paul was trying to teach. He's going to ex- uh, explain things that theologians have put fancy words on, things like imputed demerit, imputed righteousness, imputed sin. Uh, he's going to explain how our unrighteousness was imputed onto Christ there on the cross. That's imputed demerit. He'll talk about how Christ's righteousness, who knew no sin but took on our sin, exchanged and imputed his righteousness onto us who are the children of God. But then he's going to deal with this whole reality of why that was necessary because of imputed sin. Adam's sin, which was imputed to us. When he sinned, it didn't just impact him and his family, but all of the human family, all that would be born after him because of our DNA. He was our federal representative, if you will. You may say, well, that doesn't make sense. That's not fair. Well, if you think about it, uh, we can look at our Congress today, and when they cast a vote, they are representing us. They may not be us, but they represent us, and those decisions impact us. The same is true on Adam and his decision he made to rebel against the command of God not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God established that if that happened, that the wages of sin would be death, And that's exactly what Adam did. He ignored what God had established. He took on his own theology, what he thought God should be and what God should do for him. And he lived according to his own man-made theology. I can do what I want to do when I want to do it and when it's desirable to my eye. Because of that, our DNA was forever impacted and was also destroyed by the consequences of sin. And so we all die because of sin, and because of what our federal head chose to do, ignoring the peace of God and the provision of God. Now, many people have debated this reality, and many people have different views about Adam's sin. There's the Pelagian view that says Adam's sin affected only himself and simply merely resulted in uh, bad moral example to the human race. Then you have the semi-Pelagian view that says Adam's sin merely weakened my will not to sin, that I'm born with a sinful nature, if you will, and it weakened my ability to make choices. And then you have an Augustinian view that says because of the unity of the human race, Adam's sin was imputed to us, to all of us, throughout all of the ages. Corrupt nature begets corrupt nature. So does the devil really make us do it? Let's take a look. Romans chapter 5, verse 11. Dig in. In verse 11, he says, And not only this, but we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he's transitioning from the wages of sin. He has taken the first few chapters to show that we have all sinned, whether we are Jewish or Gentile, whether we have gone after uh, the, the radical ways of the world, or whether we have even been religious, like the Pharisees, the Sadducees. 
that there is the unrighteous and there's the religious, and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. He then introduced in Romans chapter 3 that the wages of sin was death. That's the penalty for the way we had lived. And then he introduces the fact that we can be right with a holy God in chapter 4. Now he has to go back in chapter 5 here, and he has to explain the reality of how we are justified. So in verse 11, he says, we exalt in Christ. So as Christians, we have the blessing of being in Christ and knowing the peace of his forgiveness and his righteousness. That is what we inherit through being transformed from a dead life of sin into a new life through Christ. So Paul is going to teach now in verse 12. Look at verse 12. He shows that the opposite is true. While we are blessed in Christ and while we are made righteous in Christ, outside of Christ, the opposite is true. We are unrighteous and we are cursed. Not blessed, but cursed in Adam. Look at verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man. Now, I want you to underline that phrase, one man. Uh, that's going to be a significant part of what we look at today, this concept of what one man broke, one man fixed. Take a look at this, verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sin. Here in verse 12, he reminds us, not only because of Adam's sin, we also have sinned, and I think you know that. We all understand that. We have all sinned and come short of glorifying God in our lives. Death is a result of that. What happened to Adam spread to all the human race, and then we have all sinned because we inherited that DNA, and as we've experienced that, we also experience death physically, emotionally, and spiritually. But Paul wants to show us why it is perfectly just, just like one man messed it all up, he's going to prove that the way it got fixed was not through religion. Not what he used to believe growing up, that by being a Pharisee of the Pharisees, being more religious than anybody else in Jerusalem, that that was going to fix his mess. He had to discover on a Damascus road there's only one who can fix our mess. One man caused the problem. The God-man, Jesus, fixed the problem. And that's his whole argument through this situation. Now, as you look at this, you say, well, that's unfair that because one man, we're all messed up. That doesn't seem to make sense. Well, look at our national debt. Our national debt, what's being racked up today in our generation, what we do is going to radically impact our children and their children. Same thing happened spiritually through Adam. What happened in his generation and through his rebellion impacted his children, their children, and all generations. And so let's take a look at this understanding of the doctrine of sin. What theologians call hermardiology. Uh, there are three concepts. I'm just going to put them up on the screen. Don't want to overwhelm you with theological words. But you need to think through this so that you take a biblical understanding of what Paul's about to teach. There is this concept of imputed sin, imparted sin, and intentional sin. So let's take a look at the first one. Imputed sin, what that simply means is what Adam did in the garden brought death to mankind. It was imputed to all of man. We all die physically because of that experience in the garden. And while some may die in the womb, some may die in a crib, some may die in their youth, and some may die in their old age... All will die. It's appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment. That's imputed sin. What has been brought down to us, if you will. Imparted sin is our sinful nature. That we are born with that sinful nature. It's inherited from our daddy, if you will. It comes down from generation to generation. And it doesn't bear its ugly head at first. But as we mature and as we grow... We grow into that simple nature, we act on that, and that then leads to the third category of intentional sin. We intentionally sin against a holy God in his holy ways. That brings spiritual death. God said, Adam, when you eat of this, you will die. The devil said, you won't die. God wouldn't kill you. He's the author of life. Why would he let you die? Adam believed a partial theology, and he didn't die physically in that moment, but he did die spiritually. And he would die emotionally, and ultimately he would die physically. He experienced death in all three ways, as do we because of imputed sin, imparted sin, and our intentional sin. But the beautiful thing about Jesus 
is that he destroyed all of these by becoming our sin on the cross, conquering death through his resurrection. So just very briefly, what we've seen in these first two verses, look at this chart, we'll put it up on the screen, and look at these things. Adam, who was first created, you see there he is whole, he is holy. And then he sinned against God's law, what was given to him, one commandment, don't eat from this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He sinned, all things went dark, all things became death, and through Adam, all born of Adam die. But then you see Jesus, another man, God-man. He wasn't a man who loved God, he was God who became man, took on flesh, lived this perfect life here on earth without sin. He brought his righteousness and became a righteous sacrifice. That's why I have that circle in red. And through his blood, the Bible says, we too, now the payment of sin had been paid. Our sins were covered now by the blood, and we were now declared the righteousness of God. And Jesus said, I came that you might have life. That's what every human being needs. We were born because we were born into Adam, spiritually, physically, and emotionally dead. We will experience all those things. Christ came to make all those things right and to be the life giver. So all those who are born a second time, as Jesus would teach Nicodemus in John chapter 3, instead of being born in death and born to die, they could all live forever through Jesus. And so as we look at this, Paul's going to try to argue that and help them understand. Some in his audience were religious and they thought, no, 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 I don't need another religious leader like Jesus, another teaching, I have my religion, I'm okay. There were others who were looking to enlightenment and human wisdom and saying, we just need to be more enlightened and that'll fix our problems. And Paul had to speak to both of those lies and say, no, one man broke it, you need the God-man, Jesus, to fix it. That's his whole argument. Look at verse 13. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. So now he's going to speak into this religious audience, that aspect, and he's going to show them the reality that religion can't fix it, didn't fix it, because there was death even before the law as was given to Moses. Look at this chart. If you look at this chart up on the screen, you can see there was Adam. Adam had the one law that he broke, invited sin in the human equation. And then you see there was 2,500 years between Adam and Mount Sinai when God gave the law, the Ten Commandments, to Moses. And then you see another 1,500 years between the time of Moses and when Christ died on the cross. You look at all that human history, and you see, and what he's going to point to is he says, from Adam until Moses, what happened? People died. Why did they die? Because what Adam did impacted all human beings. That one man broke it for all of us. It was imputed unto us. Look at the verse 13 again. For until the law, sin was in the world. But is sin not imputed when there is no law? Imputed means charged to one's account. Example, I can't get a speeding ticket if there is no speeding limit. But there are speeding limits. And therefore, there are tickets for some of you out there in the listening audience, right? Well, in this case, what he's saying is, there wasn't any law between Adam and Moses, and yet there was still the ticket. There was still death. You see, that's because it doesn't relate just to the law given to Moses. It doesn't relate to religion that can fix it. One man broke it. Only one man can fix it. Look at verse 14. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even those who had not sinned in the likeness of the fence of Adam who is a type of him who was to come. So there he is, he's tying the first Adam to the last Adam. The reason Christ had to come was because the first Adam blew it. He, Jesus, came to this earth to be the last Adam. He came to fix what religion couldn't fix, what man couldn't fix, but what man broke. Verse 15. But now he gets to how God fixes it. But the free gift, that's God's act. The only way your life can ever be restored, the only way you can have life is not just being born from two parents, that's physical life, but to have spiritual life, it is a free gift. It's not like the other act, the transgression. You see, the first, the free gift is God's act. The transgression is Adam's act. So what was Paul saying? The free gift 
of God is not like the transgression or Adam's act. For if by the transgression of the one the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by that grace of that one man, Jesus, abound to the many. You see how simple this is? Paul is simply saying the many, the all, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Why? Because one man blew it. One man broke it. The only way that could be fixed was that one man came for the many. That's you and me. For God so loved the world, he loved us. Who was us? Those who had fallen short of the glory of God. That is God's grace. God bringing to us what we didn't deserve. God bringing to us what we could not earn and what we could not fix. And him becoming that gift. God so loved the world, he gave his only son. That's the gift, Jesus. The one man who could fix it all. Verse 16. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. Again, he reminds them, you know what Adam did. You know what that did to this world. You know why we sin now. We sin because it is broken. We are broken. The only way we can become whole is to receive that gift. And so I'm going to stop right here for today. We'll pick up some more next week. And I want to ask you this question. Not are you Baptist. Not are you religious. Not have you quit doing your bad and your good outweighing those bad things. Not are you trying harder today than ever before. Not are you a better person today than yesterday. But are you a fixed person? Have have you realized what your sin means? That it separates you from the holiness of God? Your sin. We can try to blame Adam and we can try to blame our culture and we can just say the devil made me do it. The reality is I sinned against a holy God. I was broken. And my only hope, I couldn't find it. Even at church or here or there, I found it in Christ. I got to become a part of the church, not PCBC, not a building, the body of Christ, because there was a time in my life where I realized I was broken, I was empty, and nothing could fix it except one man, Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus said, all who will believe in me, even though they die, they will live. They will live forever because I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. So how does that become your life? The Bible says you have to be transformed from a dead life in sin to a new creature in Christ. How does that happen? You have to surrender your life to Christ. If you've never done that, I know we have people watching all over the world. I know we have people in almost every state tuning in, even right now, and many right here in Oklahoma and in our city. And I want to speak to you right where you are. And I want to encourage you, if you've never nailed that down, that today you would do that. That today you would call in the name of the Lord and that you would realize your only hope is not anything you can do but that you place your faith in the one who did it all, Jesus. who died for your sin, rose again from the dead and wants to live in your heart. Would you pray with me right now? Let's pray together. If you already know Jesus, would you right where you are begin praying for many who are watching, some who are watching live today, some who will watch later this week and months to come pray that they had have ears to hear and a heart to receive what Jesus is doing right now. But if I'm speaking to you, and right now you know your heart is empty and your heart is dead in sin, you need life. Life abundantly and life eternally. And right now is the day of your salvation. Today, in this very moment, you need to cry out to the Lord. You say, how do I do that? The Bible says, call on his name. How do you receive a gift? Remember, we looked at this and He said the way he fixes what was broken was through a free gift. It's the grace of God. It's Jesus, your gift. And just like you receive any gift, you just got to receive Christ. And so I'm going to lead you in a prayer, much like Jay Strack did for me when I was a junior in high school. It was a prayer much like this. Just pray it with me, but pray it to God. Say this, dear Lord Jesus, I confess that I have sinned against you. I sinned. I did it. And Lord, I turn from it today in repentance. I ask you to cleanse me and forgive me of my sin.
And Lord, I want to receive you as my free gift. I open the door of my heart and I invite you in to be my Lord, my Master, my Savior. If you just prayed that prayer with me, would you take a moment and say, thank you, Jesus. Just like you would after you get a Christmas gift or a birthday gift, you write that thank you letter, give God thanks right now. Say, God, thank you for saving me. And if that was you today, and you did pray with me just then, would you reach out to our online pastor and say, hey, would you contact me? Here's my email address, or here's my phone number. One of our ministry team, our online pastor, will reach out to you. We want to pray with you in person. We also want to send you some materials on what it means to be a child of God. As you heard earlier, you can also email us at ministry at pcbc.tv if you have another need, if you have a special prayer request. We have been praying for those every single week during this pandemic, and we will continue to do so as you have that need. Until then, let me pray for all of us as we are dismissed this morning. Father God, thank you for loving us when we didn't love you, for fixing what Adam broke and what we continue to break, your law, your will, and your ways. God, thank you that we can be a new creature in Christ, that we don't have to live in physical death, the, the intimidation of that and the threat of that. We don't have to be emotionally dead or spiritually dead, but we can be alive in Christ Jesus. So God, may we live as children of God. And may we live pursuing you, our Heavenly Father, every single moment of every single day. Bless these who are watching today, those who couldn't be here with us. God, may we continue to hear from heaven and allow you to live through us. For we ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. All God's people said, amen. We'll see you online again next Sunday and all of our Zoom Bible studies this week. Until then, stay safe, be smart, and continue to carry out the Great Commission as Brother Marvin challenged us earlier today. God bless you. We love you. And so does the Lord. Thank you for spending time with our church family. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, visit us online at pcbc.tv. There you can also contact us and find out how to connect with us through social media channels. And visit pcbc.tv podcast to listen to additional messages from Putnam City Baptist Church.